0: So today we do have a guest speaker, and that is pretty exciting. And uh, some of you know our guest speaker, others of you may not. Our guest speaker pastored this very church for 18 years, is that right? I don't want to short you. 18 years is what I believe it was, along with his wife Kathy. Um, I don't know. Are you going to call Kathy up here to say hello, or should I? (laughs) Just wave your hand, Kathy, so that people can see that you're here also. All right, Bruce, come on up here. So Bruce pastored here for 18 years, so we have the pleasure, the pleasure and the privilege of getting to hear from the Lord through Bruce today. So thanks, Bruce.
1: So how many know your pastor's a great guy? I, you know, he doesn't, Jeff doesn't just pastor this church, he pastors in the community. I've seen him out in coffee shops and restaurants, you know, the, on uh, radio stations, right, on the airwaves. On the streets, up at Transform Burien, what not? I mean, the I oh, the, say the police? In Des Moines, yes. I mean, it's just like he pastors a community. He pastors not just the, the gathering place, but he pastors a whole community. Burien, Normandy Park, Des Moines. What other cities have represented here? SeaTac, yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Any other cities here? There you go, yeah. I'll have you out of here before the Super Bowl starts. (laughs) So, have you ever had the phone ring, doorbell chime, your child call for help, the oven alarm go off all at the same time? It's happened to most of us, and I think it seems like something not unlike this happened to Jesus almost every day. I want you to consider uh, Mark chapter five, verses twenty-one through forty-three. You know, and there you'll find two interrelated tales that the publishers of the of the NIV have entitled "A Dead Girl" and "A Sick Woman." Really? Can't we do better than that? How about a man's beloved daughter is raised from the dead and a desperate woman is miraculously healed by merely touching the hem of Jesus' garment? One story is framed within another and the, the death tells of one man's only daughter teetering on the brink of life and death and the other speaks of a woman suffering from a terrible and long-standing disease that she's been unable to shake. And different as they may be, these two stories have something in common. Besides the obvious 12-year timeline which the stories share, there's at least a dozen other striking similarities. I want you to just see if there's something in your life that isn't similar to one of these 12 things. Something that you've gone through that both of these two stories, the individuals within them, Jairus' daughter and the woman with the issue of blood, both of them were getting worse. Both of them were growing desperate. People that knew them were getting desperate for them. Both were sick with fear, in spite of which both remained hopeful. Both had to contend with thronging crowds that literally threatened to crush the life out of them. And the big crowd in Jesus' day was like 5,000, 4,000, 5,000, it says 4,000, 5,000 men. What about the women and the children? It's not estimated that Jesus, the crowds that followed Jesus were oftentimes 15,000, 20,000 people. There's 920 people that have been crushed to death in pilgrimages in Mecca in the last 15 years. People just, the crush of the crowd being so great that people just trampled and had their very life squeezed out of them. I don't know if you've ever been on a Japanese subway, but they have packers that pack you in there, and it's like it's so tight. I mean, this conservative and reserved people are just—you're are, you're so close to them. If you had a can of Pepsi and dropped it like from shoulder height, it would not hit the ground. You're just, I'm just squished to the point where you're just like ah, trying to catch your breath. And it's—I it's, think crowds like that were surrounding Jesus, and it was like they were pressing in upon him, and they had to be. And anyone that pressed into him had, was threatened by being crushed themselves. Both of these stories, the Jairus' um, daughter and Jairus himself, the woman with the issue of blood, had no qualms about interrupting Jesus. Both of them were instantly delivered. They fell on their faces at Jesus' feet in a posture of worship and praise, petition and prayer. So both the woman in our story and Jairus's daughter are unnamed. But they were both called daughters. You know, they, did, they had names, obviously, and I, it's for me personally I think when, when he was talking to her and says my daughter my daughter I think he was saying I've always wanted a girl just like you a son just like you my daughter and he had this affectionate term for a daughter and so in my life too I think if, if I've, God knows my name but when I hear him say son when I hear him say son that's something special when I realize that it's more than just a name it's a relationship Both of the stories, both of the healings involve tenderness on God's part. Thanks. Is that better? Okay. Thank you. Sound guys. The worship team, by the way, was awesome, wasn't it? Boy, Jen did such a good job. I loved it. Just wanted to enter into the presence of God. Makes it hard to not just want to keep worshiping and praising him all along. Okay, these, these this healing involved tenderness and God's kindness. And there was a time, it was about two and a half years ago, I was in New York in Manhattan for my son's wedding, right, which I officiated. And I, there was a coffee shop I went to right near the hotel where we were staying. And I was in this coffee shop, and there were people in that coffee shop that I knew. I mean, nationally known figures, news broadcasters, television personalities, actors. This coffee shop was just packed with people. It was so packed there was not a seat left. And I was sitting on a windowsill on the edge of the, edge of the um, uh, coffee shop. There was a woman sitting right next to me, or standing, she was sitting right next to me. She was on one of those tables that's about this high with a stool, sitting on a stool, and she was kind of whimpering, kind of just crying. And then she started crying louder, and then pretty soon her cries turned to sobs. She was just going, and her shoulders were shaking, just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. and People began to get up and leave the restaurant. People with coffee were trying to go to the cream and sugar, and it's like they had to kind of walk around her, and they were getting nervous. And I was getting nervous. People, and all of a sudden, there were seats for me to sit down, and I didn't have to sit at the window seat anymore. I could sit in a chair. I So I we went to move to sit in a chair, but she just kept howling and sobbing. I said, i got to do something for this girl. So I walked up to her, and I just put my face right down to her ear. My mouth was like about three inches from her ear, and I said, you know what? I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea what you're going through, but I know you're going to get through it if you just hang in there. I want to just give you a blessing of peace. And I just said, shalom. That's peace. And when you say shalom twice in Hebrew, it means perfect peace. And I just said, shalom, shalom. I said, did you feel something? And she just has her head down, and she just nodded her head. She began, her sobbing began to subside. Shalom. Like a baby, you're just patting it on the back. And finally the baby just begins to melt in your arms and stop sobbing. Just give that attention. She just was just like that, and she began to stop sobbing. Everybody in the coffee shop was looking at me with gratitude, I think. But then anyway, I look at my watch and I said, got to go. And I, I just got up and walked out of the coffee shop. I never saw this woman's face. She never saw my face. But I believe that there was something of the kindness of God that was given to that woman and also given to me to participate with the Lord in comforting this woman, going through who knows what. All of us have been in places where we need to be comforted, and I think she did. I didn't get a witness to her, didn't tell her about Jesus, but I think she met and understood the kindness of God just in that whisper in her ear. All of us need to be touched by the Lord in some way like that. And What, did the, what can we learn from these two stories? The story of Jairus' daughter and the story of the woman with the issue of blood. First of all this, faith starts with worship. When you worship God, it's an act of faith in itself because you're worshiping God in spite of all your circumstances, in spite of all your troubles, in spite of all your depression, in spite of all your fear, you're worshiping God. So faith starts with worship. And we learn that. Both stories tell of the people falling on their faces before Jesus, and he didn't uh, re, you know, put, push them off. Like when people in the New, Old Testament and the New Testament felt, uh, were in the presence of angels, right? They would begin to worship these angels. And they said, No, we're just fellow servants like you. But whenever Jesus, people worshiped him, he accepted it because he was God and it was worth, worthwhile and worthy for people to acknowledge him as God. He's the Lord of nature, demons, sickness, even death. So, some, But some people are afraid to surrender themselves in worship, afraid to surrender themselves to a being of that they're not in control of put themselves in the hands of someone else that they don't know if they can really trust him or not others say that they would be hypocrites to worship a supreme being that they still have doubts about they say I still have doubts I don't even know if God exists how can I worship him by faith by faith others I've heard it said you know they have a hard time being thankful at all because it looks to them that God has let them down what to do I say praise God anyway we have to praise him in any case because he's worthy isn't he He's worthy of praise, and so we worship him. It builds up your faith to worship God, and it magnifies the Lord. You think of that word magnify, think of magnifying instruments, think of telescopes, binoculars, microscopes, magnifying glasses. None of them change the shape or the size of that object which they're examining, but it makes the object of which they're examining more obvious, makes it more evident, begins to stand out, and I think, now I know, now I know, now I can see clearly, even though the size of God's miracle remains the same, I can now see it by faith. I can see what God's doing, not by sight, but by faith. I understand. So when it gets down to it, there's only two times to praise the Lord. Thank you. When you feel like it and when you don't. Let's try that again. There's only two times to praise the Lord. When you feel like it and when you don't. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like praising God. I feel like I've been let down. I feel like I've been betrayed. I feel like God's absenting himself from me. I feel like, where are you, God? How can I worship you? I don't want to worship you, but I will. In the face of doubt, in the face of fear, in the face of the crushing grip of heartache, sorrow, I think we can boost our faith by praising God. When people ask me why we should praise God anyway, I think it's just this. Like I've said before, he's worthy. He's worthy, always worthy. Whether or not we experience that worthiness, whether or not we're focusing our optical instruments on him or not, he is worthy. Secondly, this. Faith deals with life's interruption with love and patience. When I was at QFC not too long ago, I'm getting in the line and I'm thinking, there's there's too many people in this line. This woman has her grocery cart just stacked. I'm looking around, kind of jockeying for position. I don't want to commit myself to one line because this line over here might go faster. So you see this line here. It's got 12 items or less. I go, that's my line. But then I started counting the objects in this woman's basket, like 14, 15, 18, 21, it's been, I said,
2: This
1: woman is cheating the system. But anyway, so I went to another line. There's another um, express line. So I went there and got in that lane. All of a sudden, the other lane started going faster. Thinking, man, it's like I don't like this. I'm, I'm not just making this up. This isn't just a sermon illustration. This is like actual fact of my life, embarrassing as it may be. I'm getting in this line now. This is of person's with the 12 items. They have less than 12. I said, that's it. And there's one person behind the woman with the small basket and this person had just a greeting card. Yes. That's my line. But then they get to checking out the things. and said, you know what? Your card's not been accepted. And it's like, what about this here? We need a price check. This item, I think, the person ahead of me said, I think it was worth, I think it cost this much. And the lady says, okay, we'll do a price check. So they send a runner out all the way to find the price check. You know, aisle three price check going on. So the time is ticking away. The guy with the card I thought, and there's just one thing, not a problem. The guy in the card looks at it. If the woman behind the counter opens the card like you know it wouldn't happen normally. you just look at the back of the card, scan the price. No, she opens the card and reads it, and then she starts crying. And "What's going on?" She starts crying and, and, and she says, "My father's never sent me a card before because it was a card addressed from a father to a daughter. She says, "My father's never written me a card, never had a card." Addressed to me. I've never received a letter or a note from my father, and she started crying. I'm going now. Great, more time taken up. Right? I don't. I sound sound pretty mercenary. Sound pretty uncaring, unfeeling. I know, but I was in a hurry, or so I thought. And so the, I get up to the lane. see so this woman, st- this checker, still crying. Oh man, I'm sorry. What's going on? And she she said, I saw that card, and it was just an address from a father to a daughter, and I didn't. I feel like my father had never given me the time of day before. In fact, I always wanted my father to sing at my wedding. He was an opera singer. I wanted him to sing the Ave Maria or the Magnificat, the Our Father. But he didn't, never did. Never came to my wedding even. And I was divorced two months later anyway, so it didn't matter. And then she's crying again. I get my 12 items, put them in a bag. I said, okay, I'm praying for you. And I walk out to the car. And I'm in, sitting in the car. And it's like, here's this thought coming to my mind. It's like, and not a voice, but this thought, this insistent thought. I thought, that's not the devil. I'm pretty sure it's not me. And the voice that I imagined that I heard said something like this. I want you to go back in the store and buy a card that says to this woman that I love her. Says the Lord. And I go, wow, oh, come on. I'm like thinking, No. And I finally said, okay. So I, got, I go back into the store, find a card that's addressed from a father to a daughter, and I write inside the notes, with every blessing, your heavenly father. And I get back in the line, I'm waiting through the line again with this card. I put it down, I said, you can look at that, it's your card. And she opens it up I've always wanted a daughter just like you. And she starts crying again. Weeks later, I'm back in QFC. And I see this woman. I'm embarrassed now because we never—we just—we had this exchange going on. I thought, but we really were never introduced. I didn't know her name. She didn't know my name. So it was kind of like embarrassing. So I'm walking through the store, and this woman is coming at me at the other end of the aisle. I mean, if I didn't just turn on my heel and turn the other way, we were destined for a head-on head collision, right? So I just okay, buck up, going to do this. Walk straight toward this woman. She's right in front of me. I'm right in front of her. And I go, "Can I ask you a question?" She says, "What's that?" I said, "Did you think that was weird?" When I brought you that card, she goes, Yeah, that was weird. (laughs) She said, But guess what? I said, What? She said, It's pinned on my refrigerator to this day. It's still there as far as I know. So, secondly, that faith deals with life's interruptions, with love and patience. And I've come to a new line when I'm in grocery stores and it looks like time is running out. I just tell the checker, I said, It's okay. I'm not in a hurry. And oftentimes I am in a hurry as far as I go. But if you tell someone that, it's okay, I'm not in a hurry, it just puts peace on their life. They think, you know what, that person doesn't care, I don't care. We're going to get through this line someday and someday soon. And it's just a better way of living. Just say, you know what, I have got nothing else to do. I'm not in a hurry. Thirdly, this, God rests, faith, excuse me, rests in the fact that we are no trouble to the Lord. Remember, Jairus came to have his daughter prayed for he's on his way back to the house with Jesus in tow people come from the home and say don't, don't bother Jesus anymore the woman the girl's dead it's not going to do any good to have Jesus come don't bother the master anymore but Jesus said, it's no bother it's no bother to me to heal someone even someone that's dead not a problem to me so people come to tell Jesus that Jairus' daughter is dead and on account of this they say you know what there's no hope left for you might as well just give up. Might as well just go home with your head hanging low. Might as well just go home and bury your daughter. But Jesus wasn't, wasn't troubled. He said, trouble the master no more. He wasn't troubled. In fact, he wasn't even listening. He didn't care what they had to say. He had knew what the will of God was and was going ahead. Didn't heed the bad tidings. He just told them, you're no bother to me. I can always fit you in. You know, how many times you've been to a dentist or a doctor? They say walk-ins welcome, but you get there and they think, you know what? There's no room in the end, no room for you here. You can come back day after tomorrow, and we might have a squeak in somehow. But Jesus is saying, you know what? I can always fit you in. I can always fit you in. It's not an inconvenience. And one of my doctors one time, I call. He called in a prescription for me, and then he says, you know what? He says, I'm just I'm on my way home from my office. I'll stop by and pick it up at the drugstore for you and drop it off on your front porch. I said, um, okay so he does and the next day I'm calling back I said thank you so much for going to all that inconvenience he says there's not any inconvenience at all there's no trouble not to worry when does that happen It was no trouble I can always fit you in people that put a drain on me never mind they're not a drain they're not a problem how about Jesus when this woman reached out and touched him and he says who touched me because I felt power go out of me I'm thinking in a person like me I might just say That woman really took it out of me. She really really drained me. But Jesus, when he's in a situation like that where someone takes it out of him, so to speak, he's not at odds. He's not not in a situation where he has to prove anything. He's being able to carry all bad tidings. And whatever drain they put on him, Jesus is replenished. Sometimes we're not replenished so, so quickly. But you should never let someone think that they're unworthy, that they're a bother to you. Faith says, number four, is that, that, that fear fear not only believe. You know, but how do you do that? How do you not be afraid? And one way to do it from a psychological point of view, from a point of counseling point of view, is exposure therapy. How many have heard of exposure therapy? Say, for example, you have what they call in psychology agoraphobia. You're afraid, literally, of the marketplace. But you're afraid of crowds. You're afraid of people. You're afraid of going outside. You're afraid of having to interact with other people. There's a certain fear. And the way it's overcome sometimes is exposure therapy. You have a person go out and face what they're afraid of and find out in the the midst of facing what they're afraid of, they find out that there's nothing to be afraid of. they were afraid of going into a store, afraid of going to Starbucks, afraid of having to face people at the mall, and they do it and find out that they didn't get hurt, that everything's still okay, that they're fine. That's exposure therapy, but you have to be careful that you don't put yourself in the midst of trouble and harm yourself when you're exposing that situation as being a challenge or threat to you. I was up at Whistler one time, double black diamond run. We're there at the top of the run. There's a cornice, and you just look over the cornice, which is kind of like a shelf that's hanging over the edge, and you're just coming creeping up to like this, and you look straight down to where the run is, and it's about a 30-foot straight drop-off into this steep incline. You can't land sideways and kind of just check yourself because you just fall down the hill. So you have to land straight down the fall line going straight and looking at this thing and looking down and going, I don't think so. Then my sister comes up, and she just goes, stops for a second on the top of the cornice, drops 30 feet, my sister can do it, I can do it. What could go wrong? (laughs) So I do what they call in that situation, drop in, I dropped into the run, just plunge down this 30 feet thing, and all of a sudden just, turn into one of those like, cat, cat, what's the word? Just going round and round, over, head over heels, down the hill. Lost both skis, lost my poles, lost my goggle, lost my helmet, lost my everything. My coat is just packed with snow. My, my trousers are packed with snow. My boots are packed with snow. I'm like in a world of hurt. I'm in a situation where it's like, man, it's like if they, someone saw a fall like that, they would say in my obituary, he died doing what he loved. So in other words, don't try this at home. Exposure therapy is only for those things where you're not putting yourself or anyone else at risk. Caused you no harm. Faith often grows by facing that which we're afraid of, facing that which we're afraid to do. I know, I mean, I hate to be afraid, and I'll, sometimes I'll do my, do things in the face of fear just to prove I'm not afraid like standing up and preaching that's a hard thing for me to do it used to be easy but now it's hard and it's just like I have to trust God to just do what, I, what he can do through me in the way that he wants to do it and that's all that I can bring to the table is myself my fear and just say you know what God can overcome all my fears he can meet his people's needs by even someone that feels like they're at risk feels like they're at harm feels like they've been exposed to too much and there's, you know, we often hear about people that are full of faith, but they're, like I think the saying goes, they're so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. But who is more heavenly-minded than anyone? Jesus. As a human being, he was more heavenly-minded than anyone. So it's really a misnomer to say the person's so heavenly-minded they're no earthly good. The person that's truly heavenly-minded, a person that's with true spirituality, is going to be the most good of anyone else on the planet. Faith is practical, and we've often heard it said that that they're, that they're no earthly good, that what they found in truly spiritual people, I found it that that's not the case. So Jesus is in the situation where he's with Jairus' daughter, she's now by this time already dead, her body's getting cold, all the life force has gone out of her, people in Jesus' right say, no, she's just asleep, it's all going to be okay, and they're laughing at him, they go, what an idiot, what are you thinking, you're texting something, you're tweeting something that's not even true, you're giving people false hope, this woman, this little girl is dead. But Jesus said, no. And he says, Talitha, come, little girl, arise. I say to you, arise. And then she gets up and then what does Jesus do, remember? He says, give her something to eat. Give her something to eat. You know, and sometimes we think that if we serve a man a meal, He's just going to be back again the next day for wanting more. In such a case, then they think we're enabling people to eat without earning their keep. We tend to think that person needs to show that they're on the road to recovery before we enable them to remain beggars. And we find ourselves saying, you know, if we give a man a fish, he's going to eat for a day. But if we teach him how to fish, he's going to sit in a boat and drink beer all day. (laughs) Did I just say that? I'm just saying sometimes we try to be so practical that sometimes what we need to give a person is, is a fish. We just need to give him something something easy, something practical to do. Teach a man how to fish, that's fine. He to give away a fish, that's fine. Do something useful. It might not look like faith, might not look like it matters, but by faith we sow something small, knowing that someday we'll reap something big. You know, so as we go back over uh, this message, I think we have to say that faith you know starts with worship. You have to uh, excuse me a little bit these glasses are hard to focus. these are these 14 dollar glasses you can dial them in like this like with, you know you can turn these little dials and make them tight so i 've just had a lens replacement on this eye, and this eye is so bad it needs another lens replacement, so they 're both very unequally focused i didn 't need to say that except for the fact that it 's like you 're looking at me like what 's he doing like, I went to this in these notes. I can't read them. Give a man something to eat, and he'll eat for a day. You don't need to hear the rest of that anymore. We want a person to learn how to eat, learn how to feed themselves. We want them to get a job. We want them to get married. We want them to make productive use of themselves. I found out that in um, in the midst of trying to help people, to get by in a homeless ministry. We have like, in Beering, there's about 500 homeless people, about, approximately, in different levels of homelessness. Some people live in their cars, that's homeless. Some people live under a bridge, that's really homeless. Some people live on their cousin's couch, that's homeless, but not quite so serious. Some people just need help to get by another day, so they'll be fine the next day. But i found that as you begin to know people and begin to recognize who they are, and they begin to recognize who you are, you can come to them. And I was sitting at the table with some homeless guys not too long ago and they were beginning to share about where they lived. These guys are like hardcore, under the bridge, homeless people. And, this, and they were beginning to share where their camps were which is kind of like closely held secrets. You don't just tell people where your camp is. But these guys were beginning to talk about their camps and one guy looked to me and says, wait a minute, is he okay? The other guy says, yeah, he's okay. He's one of us. He's one of us. One of my proudest moments the last couple of years is like to have someone say, homeless person, say, he's one of us. He doesn't talk our talk, but he's one of us. We believe in him. We believe he's trustworthy. We believe that he's not a snitch. We believe that he's here to bring the word of God, and he will, and you're one of them if you can do that. <coughs> Faith welcomes interruptions, knowing that in the midst of interruptions, God can speak to us, he can speak through us. says you're no bother to the Lord. Faces, you don't need to be. Con, you don't need to be governed by fear. You know, courage is not the absence of fear, is it? It's acting and what what doing what you, God leads you to do in spite of what you fear. Acting and doing what's right in spite of being afraid. That's courage. Keeping it practical. There was a time when. Um, I was looking for frames for one of my paintings. One of the things I do on the side is still do painting. I do mostly portraits and landscapes on canvas, on oil on canvas. And I was in, at Value Village. that was Value Village? Yeah, it was Value Village. And I was looking for some frames. said, so I want a frame that goes around this picture. And I want this frame to be a really nice frame. I want it to be like something that's a treasure. Because a lot of times a frame can be, a good frame can be, be worth more than the painting itself. It helps to market a painting. If you can get a frame for $7, it's really worth quite a bit more. You can sell the painting then and make a little bit more clearance. There's a little bit more headroom there. You can make more than normal. Anyway, so I walk into Valley Village, and I tell the Lord, I say, show me some treasure here among the frames. This sounds kind of weird. It's on my day off. So I'm going through the frames. Nothing there. So I lift up my eyes, and I see this guy across the store. And the Lord says, that's my treasure. I go, yeah? Yeah? I I want you to go tell him that he's my treasure. I go, no, I'm not going to do that. He's going to think I'm weird. But again, this insistent thought comes to my mind, not a voice, but this insistent thought, that's not the devil, and it's not me, because I wouldn't ever dream of something like this. Go and tell that guy that he's precious to me, says the Lord. I go, oh, great. So I said, forget it. And I walk out to my car. I'm sitting in the car. And I told the Lord, I says, but it's my day off. (laughs) I did. I'm not kidding you. So it's my day off. Lord says, that doesn't matter. It's like, not a, I don't take days off. Again, not a word, not an audible voice, but just this clear, insistent, demanding thought. I'm going to tell this guy he's precious to me. I go, oh, jeez. So, what am I going to do? So, I, I said, Lord, you have to make a way then. So, I go back to the back of the store. This guy's in the Hawaiian shirt section, going through. And I, saw, I said, okay, so I'm going through Hawaiian shirts. Tommy Bahama. I go, whoa. Oh. I said, check it out Tommy Bahama in the rack. I said, oh, man, I wish I would have seen that. He said, here, you can take it. It looks like more like your size than my size anyway. And we began chatting and stuff like that. I told him I was a pastor in the community here. I invited him to come to church. He so said, I could never come to church. I said, why not? He says, I, I, I can't. I've, been, I've lived my life like hell, and I'd be afraid to come to church. I don't think I can. I would never be welcome there. I said, you're welcome in my mind. You're welcome in my book. He says, no, I don't think so. And he started weeping, not weeping like out loud, like boohoo crying, but it's like tears began to form in his cheek, and literally went down his cheeks like this and off his chin, off his jawbone, like that, just like dripping out of it. I said, God loves you. He's always wanted a boy just like you. He goes, really? And I said, Yeah, really. I said, I found out on very good authority today that he loves you and you're exceedingly precious to him beyond words. <laughs> there, I did it. <laughs> Anyway, he started coming to the Evergreen Church as it was, you know, meeting in this building at that time. Started coming to church, met a woman here, got married. The rest of the story is not as happy as the first of the story. I don't want to make it up, but it was something special to know that that interruptions like this man, Jesus was interrupted by Jairus. And Jairus, you know, when when Jesus was interrupted on the way to Jairus' daughter, by the way, guess what? Jairus is like he's knowing his daughter's teetering on the brink of death and Jesus stops stops and just starts talking to this woman. Yeah, how's like, where did you get you know where did you grow up? You know what high school did you go to what year did you graduate and they're just sort of chitchat and Jairus is going man we got to get on the show, got to get going, get on the road. My daughter is like it's not just like she's sick, she's like dying. And now the man comes and says she's already dead. So all I'm just saying is that when people show up in our lives sometimes those things that seem like Interruptions are not. They're like the plan of God. And we have to hear what God is saying in the midst of them. So as we do that today, I want you to think about one of these things: that the faith is practical. You know that it can be something that God wants to do through you. That it says, that, that, "You know, fear not, only believe." Fear is something that can um, cripple you. I think fear is the most common emotion that cripples people of all kinds. The, the command not to fear is the most oft-repeated command in the Bible, and it starts with worship. Let me just pray for us right now. It looks like we're going to celebrate communion. I didn't, I didn't know about that, but we'll just, um, we'll just pray and ask the Lord to help us. Can we do that? Father, we thank you today for these two stories, the story of Jairus' daughter and the story of the woman with the issue of blood, God, and how we know today that God, if there's this one thing you'd speak to us out of today's message, God, that you would let us know out of what faith is, and what faith is to these two people, how we can be free from fear ourselves, how we can be free from thinking that people are just objects that are getting in our way that we need to hurry on to get past. So we just give ourselves to you now in Jesus' name, trusting that you, you'll speak to us, and today you'll speak through us as well. Amen.
0: All right, it is Communion Sunday, and um, as part of our practice, when we do communion, we have an open table, which means I invite anybody to come. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to be. Oh, I've attended here so long, or I went to a class. It's it's an open table, and we don't do this. This does not equal our salvation. What this is is this is us recognizing that we need something in our lives, and that something is Jesus. And we may not even understand how that works. We may not understand any of that. But it doesn't say you have to be a theological genius. In fact, it tells us in the scripture, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I was also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Doesn't tell us how often we have to do it. Doesn't tell us where we have to do it. Doesn't. T- it just says, when you do it, do it to remember me. And all the rules that you heard growing up, all the stuff that said you have to do this and this, and those are all made by humans because we want everybody to fit in our little box because it makes us comfortable. But the reality is Jesus made it as simple as he could. He's literally having a meal with his disciples the night, the very night in which he's going to be betrayed, just a few hours before his betrayal, takes what they're already eating, what's at hand, and he says, look, this is it. This is how you're going to remember the sacrifice I'm going to make. And here's what's crazy. They didn't even understand what he was saying at the time. They just knew that it was different than what he had said before. They knew that it was different than what he'd done. And so when he says, it's for everybody, come and take and eat. That's what I'm inviting you to do today. I'm inviting you to come and to take and to eat. Come and break off a piece Dip it in the juice and serve yourself. If you're unable to come for any reason, if, you, if physically you can't walk up here, emotionally or mentally, you don't have the strength. You go, I'm, I shouldn't even be here, Jeff. If you knew what I did last week, last night, this morning before I came just to get here, it's okay. We'll come to you just hold up your hand. Tracy will come and serve you. If you need gluten-free, she'll have it right here in this middle line after she serves the other people because we want to make it so that anybody and everybody can come and take. So we'll just kind of start dismissing. We'll dismiss from the back to the front, but if you want to be the first in line, I don't care, jump up and run up here because I want to serve you. So James, if you'll come up and take yours, Tracy, come and take yours. Again, if you need to be served at your seat, go ahead and raise your hand. Tracy will come and serve you. Otherwise, we'll make two lines and everybody is welcome to come in and be served. And then following that, our prayer team will be ready and available on each side, kind of over here by this plant and over here near where the youth sit. So if if you want prayer today for anything going on in your life, come on over and they'll pray for you. Every time it's simple, it's easy, it's free, and it's supposed to be. It's a great representation of what Jesus' grace is. We make it so complicated because we want people to fit into our club. We want people to be dressed like us and look like us and act like us and talk like us. And then, once they're like us, then Jesus is going to. We want people cleaned up and pressed and starched and looking a certain way. And then they can be in the church. But the reality is, Jesus looks and he goes, you're all a bunch of ugly sinners and I know it, and yet you're the one I chose. None of you deserve it, and yet I'm going to give it to you because I love you so deeply, and I want relationship with you. You guys, if you don't understand what we even did here this morning, I'm glad to meet with you and talk with you about that this week. If you didn't understand what Pastor Bruce was talking about when he said, Teach a man to fish or give a man a fish. But do something. Take some kind of action. If you don't understand what he's talking about, come and talk to me and I'll help you start that journey to take action. I said for as many years as I can remember, our faith is a journey. It's not a one-time thing. It's a journey and we grow and we learn and we become more and more and more like who God created us to be. And that's a beautiful thing because in that we find freedom and hope. Father God, I thank you for gathering place and I thank you for what you're doing in and through them. God, I thank you for what you've done in our community and I thank you for the ways that we're impacting our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers by the way we love. May we be a people who are marked by you, who are changing the world we live in one person at a time by loving them and showing them who you are. Let us be a people who continue to do that in your name. Amen. If you'd like more prayer, our prayer team is going to be up here on both sides if they want to come forward right now. And it can be prayer for anything. It doesn't have to do with what was going on in the service today. Family issues, marriage issues, job issues. Come and get prayer. Two more quick things. Today's, well, I mean, it's essentially the last day we're taking cards because the new one will be ready to preview by next week. So if you haven't filled out a directory card and you want to be in it, please do. Second off, please join us for the Super Bowl party. Again, it's not about the football game. If you think it's about the game, you're missing the very point of it. It's about getting together and eating and building relationship because in our lives, we all need people. We were created to be in community. Come out and be in community so that we can have relationship with one another. All right. Thanks. I'll see you this afternoon or next week. I love you all.